Well, it's certainly a hot topic of discussion in any Christian denomination. Taking the biblical stand against it will certainly make you uh, a chauvinist or uh, maybe even worse. Uh, but what's a, what's a Christian to do? He must confess what he is given to confess by God's word. I'm talking, of course, about the uh, ordination of women in the church. Um, if women are created equal, then why can't women have the same rights and opportunities as men? And is the prohibition of women to the holy office now outdated? That's the topic of today's Table Scraps, the Internet Exclusive Edition of Table Talk Radio. And our special guest today is Pastor Dale Dumperth. He's a pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in McPherson, Kansas. Welcome. Good morning. If someone walked into your study off the streets um, into the church and uh, just sat down and said, look, I want to have an, an honest look about whether or not God calls them into the holy ministry, which I'm sure that happens all the time, uh, <laughs> where, where's the first place you take them? The first thing I want to find out is where the person is. Are they a Christian or not? Okay. Because the crucial issue is not women's ordination. The crucial issue is have they been given Christ? Have they been given the Spirit of Christ? Because apart from the Spirit of Christ, women's ordination cannot be understood. So first I'll find out if they're a Christian. Okay, very good question. Let's say the person is a Christian. All right, if they're a Christian, to approach women's ordination, I don't take it, I don't approach it from the view that it's actually... Uh, a rational decision to be made that if I can simply counter the arguments that the person has against women's ordination, I will there win the argument and they will now be opposed to women's ordination. I don't take that approach whatsoever. I simply look at the text, for example, might begin with the order of creation in Genesis and say this is how God has established and ordered the world. And therefore, uh, while men and women are equal in our stance before God, we're equally redeemed. There is no difference between male and female. The Lord has given us various offices, positions in the world. And therefore, the question is, how has God ordered the world? What has he given male to do, and what has he given female to do? Okay, so answer that question, what has he given male to do, and what has he given female to do? The Lord created the male to be the head of the female. Therefore, he is head of the home. Uh, he is he is Christ to the woman. So the husband is Christ to his wife. He, got, he loves her as Christ loves his church. And here we've moved to Ephesians 5. Uh, he would die for his wife just as Christ died for the church. And so it is to the husband to give. It is to the wife to receive. So the church, as the bride of Christ, receives from Christ. What do we receive? His gifts of baptism, his gifts of the word, his gifts of the Lord's Supper, his gift of forgiveness. So he has given the man, the male to lead, and as the the pastor leads in the church, he stands in the place of Christ and bestows Christ's gifts upon his people. So it sounds like an improper understanding of of the roles of male and female is actually an improper shame between Christ and his church. It is, and between man and God. Exactly. Um, in in uh, my setting for, for today's interview, I was looking at some of the arguments for women's ordination, and they uh, one, one particular website I found was refuting uh, the order of creation uh, by saying that uh, as we look at creation, we see the uh, the creations becoming uh, bigger and better, so to speak. You know, first you have the the plants and the animals, and then man, and then woman is actually a last. And so this particular um, source said that if man is the head, then the woman is the crown. 
How would you respond to that argument? That gives a woman a high place in creation, which she has. Uh, it was given to, to male and female to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, nevertheless, within that original rela- relationship, the first marriage, Adam and Eve, Adam was the head of his wife. Uh, and he was to lead her and guide her in love, just as he does now. So that's a different take on the, uh, on the order of creation than used to be employed. The primary argument uh, against the order of creation used by the feminists who supported women's ordination used to play the two creation accounts of Genesis 1 and 2 against each other. Uh, and there they would appeal they would appeal to Genesis two because there the equality is theme, uh, not realizing that the two accounts are harmonious, and Genesis two is simply an explanation goes into greater detail of that which took place on the sixth day. If someone were to say that uh, the woman is the crown of man, I disagree with that. It is not true, uh, because the man is head of the woman. But nevertheless, I like the idea of elevating the woman, because that's one of the great things that's done within Christian within the Christian church. You can look at some of the, the pagan religions throughout the world, such as Islam, and see the role of woman within those societies. In the church, we elevate women. We love women. You know, the, the ladies in my church are my sisters and my mothers. Contrary to what seems to be popular opinion that, that the Christian church has oppressed women over the years, uh, and, and now we're, we're just now breaking free of that, so to speak, seems to be the, uh, the popular opinion. Um, those who would uh, support women's ordination would oftentimes point to women leaders and, and uh, women prophets in the scriptures. Let's take a, a look at some of these uh, one at a time. Um, starting with uh, Exodus fifteen twenty nine, we encounter Miriam, and Miriam is the prophetess Aaron's sister uh, who took the, the timbrel in her hand, and all the women uh, went out after her with uh, trembles and with dancing. Is this uh, proving that we, we should have women pastors in the church today? No, it doesn't. Uh, Miriam was a prophetess. She is declared as a prophetess, a naviah. But it's interesting to see to whom did she minister. Miriam was one who spoke the word of God to the ladies. As a matter of fact, you can see the account where Miriam and Aaron rebelled against Moses. And there in the account, it says Miriam and and Aaron rebelled against Moses. So there's the order of the names. But when the Lord corrects this order, he has Moses who then speaks to Aaron and Miriam. So you can see Miriam, when she rose up against Moses claiming, I am holy too. God has spoken through me too. Therefore, you do not have this higher position among us as prophet. Uh, the Lord corrected her and put her in her place, which is a good thing. It is good to be in the place in life that God has placed us. Another one is uh, Deborah. Deborah was a judge. And uh, then, the, then those who would support women's ordination would, would take this. I mean, look, uh, women uh, have a position of leadership. Again, how would you respond to, to Deborah? Again, the Lord did raise her up, and she served as a judge. There, In that account, you can see how unfaithful the men were. When she gave the word to the general to go out and to win this battle, he basically cried like a little boy, and he said, I'm not going to go unless you go with me. 
<laughs> and, he, and she said, well, okay, then the, the victory will go to a woman. Uh, there they sought her out. The men uh, were weak. They did not serve. They, he, here we have a general of this Israelite army. What more could you ask for than to have God behind you and to be his servant in battle? There, uh, you can look at Deborah or also Hulda is sometimes brought up. Luther addressed this issue, and he said, well, if the Lord, although today in the New Testament the pastoral office is not given to women, if the Lord were to raise up a, a female as a prophetess and she were to authenticate her ministry by signs and miracles, as prophets always have, then she would have that office among us. Okay. Um, what a, One last example I have uh, is Anna in Acts uh, 2.36, which mm-hmm. reads, There is a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanel, uh, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years um, after her marriage. Um, how do you, how, what about Anna? Is she... Uh, uh, an example of a, a woman pastor? No, Anna isn't. There's a real issue. Does Anna really belong to the Old Testament or to the New? Uh, the word prophetess is only used two times in the uh, New Testament in Greek. The once is Anna and the other is Jezebel in Revelation. And you can see there she was a false prophetess. So it's hard to build anything, any any uh, unfolding view of the office in the New Testament, given the one example of Anna. And you see what she did there, she privately proclaimed in the temple courts that were available to the women, and she simply spoke the gospel. Spoke the gospel. All right, let's 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 then look to um, the words of Jesus. Uh, those who um, would disagree with our position are, are saying that, look, Jesus' words, never, nowhere in Jesus' words we find him uh, prohibiting women to be pastors. Um, in fact, you know, we have the example of of uh, uh, the news of the resurrection going first to women, which is uh, a clear example that we should have women pastors. What's your response to that uh, argument? There, the men were unfaithful. Who should have been the first at the tomb on that Easter morning? The apostles. They should have been there expecting not to find Jesus dead, not expecting to find a cold body, smelling body to be wrapped in spices and linens, but rather to discover a resurrected Lord. There they failed. They sinned as apostles. They sinned as believers. They were, in fact, unbelievers at that point. And the Lord sent these faithful women. They had come to the tomb. Even they didn't come expecting to find the resurrected Lord. They came to give this one last act of service to Jesus, but they were sent with this gospel message. Go, he is risen. Go to Galilee. There you will see him. And women today carry that same message. It simply falls to the vocation of Christian to speak of the glories of Christ to all men, all people. Okay, then let's go to Galatians 3.28. This is uh, kind of the go-to text then, um, which says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So clearly, Pastor, this is saying there is no distinction in God's eyes between male and female. So therefore, what's the difference between uh, who who is a pastor, male or female? That is true. The Lord speaks there of quorum Deo, in other words, our stance before the Lord. In faith, all are equal before him. It matters not whether you're slave or free. It matters not whether you're male or female. What matters is the blood of Christ washed you. Has the Spirit sanctified you in baptism? Have you been nourished through his word? That is what counts. 
the fact that we are all the same in this vertical relationship before God does not change the fact that there is the order of creation among men on earth. Now, what's interesting, when the Christian feminists, we, this has been called the Magna Car- Carta of, uh, among Christian feminists. There's neither male nor female. Uh, it's a great freeing text. And as a matter of fact, many uh, Christian feminists I've read would say this is the one place where Paul got it right. In First <laughs> Corinthians 14, let the women be silent in the church. Paul was wrong there. He slipped into his Pharisaical Judaism. Ah, but there's neither male nor female. Paul was on the upside there. Uh, you can look at First Timothy 2. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Ah, there's Paul again, falling back. <laughs> but Galatians 3, there is neither male nor female. Uh, and they fail to realize that while it is true we are all one before Lord, the Lord, we still have the various vocations into which he calls us in life. Some of those vocations depend upon biology. He has created us male. He has created us female. And he's given certain things to males and others to females. And if the females are so busy doing the things that the Lord has given them, they will not want to take on that which he has given to the males, such as the office of the ministry. Okay, then uh, we'll go to St. Paul since you brought him up. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 14.34 says that women should remain silent in the church. Um, But couldn't this be an example of of something specific to the church at Corinth. Um, also in First Corinthians, it talks about how uh, women should wear he- uh, head coverings, and, and we don't see that uh, as much today ex- except for some f- a few minor groups. Um, so is this an example of where this is specific to the time, to the culture? And, but now in our society, look, women um, have an equal status, so therefore women should be, uh, be able to be pastors in the church today. It is true. First Corinthians is an epistle written to a church dealing with problems in that congregation and perhaps even potential problems that may arise due to that, the, the situation in Corinth. It was a permissive city sexually. It was filled with cultic prostitution. It, the, the people who were coming into the church had heads filled with Greek philosophy and Greek thought. And Paul was there getting their heads on straight, pointing them away from the thoughts of paganism to godly thought. That's why, so I would say yes, and I'll come back to this. First Corinthians is an epistle penned to a situation. That's why looking at First Corinthians 14, let the women be silent in the church, must be taken in conjunction with First Timothy 2, because First Timothy 2 is a pastoral epistle which applies in all churches of all times. So when you look at those two texts, and there he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but she must be in submission, as the law says. Uh, and and the, the issue of silence is also there. So in Corinth, the, one of the the ways of teaching that was employed within that Corinthian culture was questions and answers. In other words, through a series of questions, it, the uh, the the speaker designed an argument that would lead a person to a particular conclusion. Therefore, by their questions, they were teaching. So when he said, let the women be silent in the church, he was prohibiting this teaching aspect, the same teaching that he prohibits in First Timothy 2. 
Okay. Um, let's then, we've looked kind of at the uh, common text that arise when talking about women uh, in the ministry. Let's now talk theologically about the office um, of the holy ministry. Uh, first, t- there are differing views of, of what the office is. Would you, would you talk about that? Certainly. Within Christendom, there are very many, uh, very many views. One view is the there's a, there's a view within society. I would say this is largely found among Protestants that everyone has a ministry, and one of the goals among Protestantism is to discover what's your ministry and carry that out in the church. So there, from this flows the idea everyone is a minister. In that case. The, the minister, their pa- the pastor in the congregation, simply has one of many ministries in that congregation. And it's not unusual to see the role of pastor as primarily as an enabler, one to help the people fulfill their ministries, and that's the real goal, that which the people do. No, within a proper understanding of the office of the ministry leads us to realize that it is an office established by Christ. He has given pastors and teachers, and there that, that's from Ephesians, uh, the same two words are describing the one office, pastor and teacher. They are, it says Christ has ascended on high and given gifts to his church. Apostles, evangelists, we go into pastors and teachers. So, the pastor is a gift. It's an office established, and the pastor speaks for Christ. With my confirmands to emphasize this point, there's sometimes I'll say to them, I'll say, I'll ask, do you want to know what Jesus sounds like? And they'll sit there and I'll say, like this. The emphasis is that when I as a pastor speak the word of God, it is Christ speaking to them. I may stutter. I may stumble, I may have to wait for words to come, but those words which are spoken are Christ. He is ministering among them. How do these differing views of ministry then affect uh, who is then called to the ministry? In Protestantism, it's, it's often based upon a feeling. You know, where are you led? Well, God led me to do this. Uh, I feel this. So feelings become the, the judge of all things. Within the Lutheran Church and our office view, there is, it's an office established by Christ. Therefore, we realize that those men are to serve in that office who have been called into it. And this call takes place immediately through the congregation. In other words, God, so you can see here again, God is at work. He works through the pastor to speak to the people. He works through the people to call the pastor to feed them. So it uh, sounds like then if um, talking about divine calling into the ministry then, it's not just that you know, women aren't called in the ministry, but all men aren't called in the ministry either. I mean, it, it's not a, a, you know equal opportunity. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a divine call from God. It is. And, for example, in my congregation, there are many men, but there is only one man who's been called to be pastor. There's only one who's been called to be teacher. And the congregation serves God and rejoices in Christ in their midst as Christ serves them through that man. And you can see it's actually a sin then to reject that pastoral office established by Christ among them because it's saying, Christ, I don't want your gifts. 
I don't want what you've given me. There's something better. I want this over here, or I want to do it for myself. And when you hearken back to the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, you see that the same, same thing is at play. In the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they were not given that tree to eat of. And what was the temptation then? Well, eat it. It's good. It's pleasing to the eye. Eat. Eat. God has withheld this good thing for you. Therefore, you must take it. And that's what's happening today. Some women are saying, well, God has withheld this good thing from me, the pastoral office. So I'm going to take it. And in that, they become the daughters of Eve. It sounds like within these these two camps of, of uh, ministry, of what ministry is, um, within the one camp, uh, you have ministry is just a list of things that needs to be done. You know, it's it's nothing divine, but just like a to-do list of things. So if it's, if it's merely things that need to be done, it doesn't really matter who does them. But if there's a, a, d- a divine aspect to the, to the ministry, that is um, uh, that, that God, that men are, are placed in the set of Christ to, to announce forgiveness of sins, then it, then it does matter uh, who is called to that, to that position. That's right. In Romans 10, Paul addresses the need of salvation you know faith comes by hearing and hearing comes through the word of christ and he goes on to ask um how can they preach unless they're sent in other words no one is to preach unless they've been sent and how do we know we've been sent by god when we receive his call where do we receive his call through the act of the church through the calling therefore us calling is everything Back when I completed seminary, I did not receive a call into the into the parish. There were a number of men that year who did not. And when I finished my classes, there was a, I was serving on my vicarage at that time in my fourth year. And one lady asked me, they said, Vicar, can we call you pastor now? She said, you've completed seminary, you're done. And I said, no, I'm not a pastor. I don't have a call. And she said, then what are you? I said, a highly educated layman. <laughs> and then the Lord did call me that summer. He called me into the office. So the, there I was not given that office, but no man can, can withhold an office from a man to whom God desires to give. Therefore, that office was given to me. One more question, because I know you want to get to this next uh, symposia paper. Um, the battle, there's another battle in the church um, on uh, uh, openly unrepentant homosexuality. And, and you know, that, that's, that's rising in our church. And it seems like one of the most common arguments I hear uh, in defending uh, openly unrepentant uh, homosexuals is that uh, the, the church must progress beyond this prejudice against homosexuality. And I find that was is the same argument that has been argued for when women's um, ordination. Is there a similarity there? Yes, there is a great similarity. I remember reading among the Christian feminists first twenty about 20 years ago, and there was a Christian feminist who was in favor of women's ordination who pointed out, well, if we deal with Galatians 3.28 consistently you know, and say that there is neither male nor female, therefore women can be pastors, it also means that it no, matter, no longer matters whether one is a homosexual or not, and therefore homosexuals will be able to enter the ministry. So you can see the movement to have homosexuals enter the ministry followed right on the heels of the women's ordination movement. And if you approach the Bible with the same worldview, the same attitude, the same method of interpretation, uh, you cannot prevent homosexuals. You cannot say that it's a sin to be homosexual. Well, thank you for your time, Pastor. 
Thank you. And thank you for uh, downloading this edition of Table Scraps. Don't forget to click on over to our podcast page. We can listen to past shows of Table Talk Radio. And also we have some articles on there as well. See you next time on Table Scraps. Table Scraps.